Hello everyone and welcome to episode 478 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm the CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre and your host. We talk about all things to do with the world of writing, publishing and how to succeed as an author or writer. So what have you been up to this week? I hope you had an enjoyable long weekend. I had house guests, which for those of you who know me, never happens. I'm not the hostess with the mostest. I'm not a domestic goddess. I'm not a culinary queen. I literally only discovered a couple of weeks ago that my fridge makes ice. Well, my freezer, of course. I mean, who knew? So it was lots of fun to have company with equal parts enjoyment as well as stress because basically I actually don't know what I'm doing around the house. What I do know about, as you know, is reading and writing and books. I always have one or several on the go as in, you know, like the regular hard copy kind. There's books all over my house. And lately I've always had one going in the car as well, as in the audiobook kind. Now, one very, very common tip that successful writers tell us is to read, and not just to read, but to read widely. It's definitely one of our most common tips on the podcast. So for this week, I want to talk about audiobooks, because audiobooks are a great way to read when you can't find the time to sit down with a book and a cuppa and, you know, a nice blankie, because You can still listen while you're doing something else, you know, like doing the laundry or walking the dog, which is when author Kirsten Alexander listens to audiobooks. And you can hear my conversation with her in episode 317. Now, a few things about audiobooks. Yes, they are real books. They're complete and no, they're not cheating. I know it is a different experience though. That's why with some books, I do prefer to read the print version. And with some books, I'm totally fine to listen to the audio version. With the audio version, you still have to do the hard work of transforming the words into pictures in your head, which is why you probably actually need to concentrate while listening to audiobooks. If you're too distracted, whole scenes might pass and you might miss them. If you've tried audiobooks in the past and you just couldn't get into them because you you know just just not that into it, I just recommend that you try again. It's like some people can read anywhere, even in a moving car. I cannot read in a moving car anymore, but some people can't read if it's too noisy, whereas I can. You have to find the best way that works for you to listen to audiobooks. Now that might be on the train or in the car or while crocheting or while doing chores around the house. I I really quite enjoy it in the car. And it's exactly for this reason that I recommend audiobooks because you can jump into new genres or try out new authors risk-free. If you've never read a romance or an espionage novel, you can listen to an audiobook without feeling like you have to, you know, like sacrifice several hours that you'd rather spend reading your favorite author. And you may discover a new genre that you never expected to love. There's lots of different ways to access audiobooks, but I think one of the best ways is actually through your local library, particularly if you're on a budget. Most libraries now use apps like Libby and BorrowBox, and these allow you to borrow ebooks and audiobooks directly onto your phone or tablet, and it's completely free. 
And if you don't know how to do that, just ask your friendly local librarian. They'll love to help you out. They're so lovely at libraries most of the time. It's 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 wonderful. So check out audiobooks at your um, local library. If budget isn't an issue, then Audible has so many options to choose from. I like using Audible credits because then that gets me into the habit of getting an audiobook every month. But for now... Are you ready for the word of the week? All right, the word of the week this week is furuncle. Furuncle, F-U-R-U-N-C-L-E, furuncle. Now, it sounds like the uncle who gets drunk at Christmas and starts making inappropriate comments, and it's not far off. Furuncle is actually the word for a boil or inflammatory sore on your skin. Now, when I looked up the etymology for this, I was surprised that it also comes from the Latin furunculus, which means petty thief, and is also where we get furtive from, although I'm not sure how that relates to a boil. Anyway, and that, furuncle, was the word of the week. If you're enjoying this podcast, you may also like the book that Alison Tate and I have written together called So You Want to Be a Writer, How to Get Started While You Still Have a Day Job. Full of practical tips, motivation and inspiration, it's ideal for anyone who's thinking of dipping their toes into the wonderful world of writing. We've created a blueprint for aspiring writers to follow and it's suitable regardless of whether you want to plunge straight into this new career or if you need to explore it while you're still busy in your day job. Let us hold your hand as you turn your dream into a reality. Buy your copy today at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au forward slash book. Let's move on to our writer in residence this week. I'm so thrilled to be talking to Kerry Sackville. I've known Kerry for a long time now. We first met probably on social media, probably on Twitter, where she was. She used to be super, super active on social media and also with her blog at the time. And she gained a lot of prominence as a result of her writing on her blog and, and her humor. And she got a book deal as a result when My Husband Does the Dishes, which was published um, some years ago now. She followed that up with The Little Book of Anxiety and also the book out there about her adventures on the dating scene. So now she's followed up with this very cool book, The the Life-Changing Magic of a Little Bit of Mess. I'm going to let you hear directly from Kerry. So let's have a listen to Kerry Sackville. Kerry Sackville, I am so thrilled to have you on the podcast. Congratulations on your latest book, The Life-Changing Magic of a Little Bit of Mess. So many questions. Now, I have to say, (laughs) I was in the cafe reading your book and I was reading your book in a number of places, but that was the place that was in public. And I'm just laughing out loud. Oh, I'm so glad. Honestly, and I'm just smirking and I'm going... You know, (laughs) and I swear that the people next to me were just wondering, "Mm, you know, what's going on with this woman? But it it was just so much fun to read. Absolutely loved it. Now, before I go on to talk about your life as a writer and how you wrote the book and all of that, please give listeners just a brief idea of what this book is about. Okay. So in lockdown last year, I was sent a copy of a book. Um, which 
oh, you know, as writers, we often get copies of books sent to us. Um, it's like one of the great perks of being a writer. Obviously, as you know, there are no other perks to being a writer. That's the <laughs> only one. Um, and it was great. It was nonfiction. I really like nonfiction. I enjoy learning about topics that I know nothing about. And this one was about cleaning. So I definitely knew nothing about that. <laughs> and it was all about how to keep your house spotless and, and, you know, the different products for different areas of the home and you need an aspirational pantry with everything labelled and you need colour-coded bookshelves and this is the, you know, this is how you clean your skirting boards. I mean, I didn't even know what a skirting board was at that point. <laughs> and I was just thinking, really, you know, this is what we need in the <laughs> pandemic as if life is not hard enough. So I decided to write an antidote to basically the hashtag home inspo influencers and the cleaning bloggers and the whole Murray Kondo kind of throw out everything you own and live in a steer sad life um, with two possessions. Um, and that's what I did. So I wrote um, a Bible of domestic imperfection. So it's really about the joy of letting your standards slip um, and embracing mess. And I just wanted something really funny that would give people a laugh because I think we need that right now. Yeah, I absolutely. Now, I've got lots of questions about the book, but I want to give listeners some context. So bear with me. I'm because I've known you for some years. You have. <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong. So you actually started life off not as a writer, but as a social worker. That's and right. then you went into writing and you were writing for publications like the Australian Jewish News and a number of different publications. Then you discovered blogging and social media. And that's how the world came to know Kerry Sackville because yeah. You know, your blog was really popular. You were so active on social media. And that ended up being a book, um, My Husband, well, my does, husband the, does the Dishes. Yes, yeah. exactly. And then you also started being a columnist um, at Sunday Life and you wrote for other um, yeah. publications as well, including Mamma Mia and a number of other publications. And then, like, what is this, four books later? Is that Yeah, right? this is number four, yeah. This is the yeah. fourth book. Yeah. So now we've come to this, but you're not blogging as frequently or as before, you know. Um, I just want to know, okay, so you're known for your wit and your humour. And, and, um, and my radiant youthful face. Of course, yes, about. of course. <laughs> and great observations on um, kind of like social behaviour because throughout this book, I, I kept thinking she writes about the things that we all actually really think but don't even kind of know we're thinking and then you just read and you go, oh, my God, yes, and the next paragraph, oh, my God, yes, and the next paragraph, that is so true. Where did that come from? Because, you know, writing for the Australian Jewish News, I can imagine <laughs> that you weren't writing about those sorts of things. Yeah, I actually was. So really? one of my first columns for the Jewish news was about the Judah, which is basically, you know, the Gator, how gay people can spot each other in the street. Well, the Judah was Jewish people can spot each other in the street. So it was always that kind of observational right. um, little, little things that, that maybe other people can relate to but haven't actually thought of. And um, I was doing that then with, I think I started off with, um, parenting magazine. So I was writing about, about mm. parenting and, and having kids and their marriage in the context of parenting. And honestly, I think it's just the way my brain works. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'm, I just, things happen to me that probably happen to everybody, but I see a story in it. Um, and mm. I'm really lucky in that I can do that because I literally have no other skills. Like I was a really <laughs> bad social worker. 
you know, I was just really intolerant. It's like, yes, yes, you've got problems, I know, but but kind of, you know, push through, please. Um, and um, and so it's it's the writing. There are two aspects to writing like this. Like one of them is the actual realization of the idea. So you get an idea and and you know you have the capacity to write it. There are a lot of people who are really good writers. Um, but the the part that I think is most important for me for the work I do is just getting that little idea. So finding something in kind of the very very mundane life that I have because really, I mean, what do I do most of the time? I sit in front of the computer and I deal with my children and go to Westfield. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's finding the, the the story, the hook in really just mundane everyday events mm. um, like you know, that's in the book, like trying to clean a mark on my ceiling. You know, I was, I was lying in bed and I noticed a handprint on the ceiling and my daughter had been jumping up and down on the bed and left this tiny little handprint on the ceiling. And I thought, oh, I can clean that. Um, and I kind of got a ladder out and I was on the bed and I was scrubbing and I ended up making like a massive, massive mess, like a huge grey cloud where there was like a tiny handprint. And I ended up having to get the ceiling repainted. Um, so that kind of thing, actually, that kind of thing probably doesn't happen to everyone because not everybody is quite as domestically <laughs> challenged as me. But, you know, it's weaving a story out of that kind of thing. So you obviously have to do that with your columns as well, yeah. right? And you have to do it on a regular basis. Yeah. You have a deadline. You have to yeah. deliver. Yeah. So my question then is do you find that mundane thing and when you start writing sometimes goes, actually, that's just too mundane. <laughs> do you have to give up because you the, the story doesn't come from it or do you? already know before you start writing where it's going to go? God, that's a good question. Honestly, I would say these days 90% of my work is is me walking around the block, like thinking. It's all about thinking. By the time I sit down at the computer, it's there. The whole thing is there um, in terms of my columns anyway, and I literally just write it up. Um, so there are times when I'll think of something and think here's a here's a good idea and that it just doesn't have legs. That you always need a hook and it's mm. just not interesting enough. It doesn't have a strong enough angle. I write a lot of op-eds, and mm. the key to writing op-eds is you've got to have a really really strong point of view. Um, but then on the other hand, it's got to be a point of view that you can completely justify and that you can kind of embed mm. the opposite argument in it because you're constantly anticipating what people are going to say in response. Yes. So you want to embed that in your argument. And if it's not strong enough, then the idea doesn't have legs and I kind of let it go. Um, but by the time I sit down at the computer, it's, I would say, probably 99.9 times out of 100, it's there and it comes out. Mm. Um, I very rarely have to, in, in all my career, I very rarely abandon something halfway. But remember, there's a lot of ideas that I get that I sort of walk around and I'm thinking about, like, nah, nah. Yeah. With, with the book, um, you know, you know, if you've read it, um, that there's a hook to the book. Mm. It's not just a book about, you know, a, an antidote to cleaning and tidying. There's kind of a hook that runs all the way through. And until I had that, I wasn't sure if the book was was strong enough without mm. it. And so I had to find the hook. And wa- once I got that, it was like the rest just kind of flowed. Um, but okay. it's finding that angle. Yes. So writing a column, though, which is yeah. maybe 800 words or thereabouts. Yeah. Often less now, often less. And sometimes less, yes. Yeah. Um, is very different to writing. How many thousand words is this book? About? I think that's about, it's a, that's a short one. I think it's about 55. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but writing 55, even though that's 55, short, writing 55,000. Not just 55 000, words. Yeah. <laughs> that would be bad value. For a book. Yeah. So 55,000 words is very yeah. different to 800 or 600 words, right? Yeah, yeah. 
So let's talk about the book. You you say that you did it as an antidote to this other book that, you know, yes. that, that you got about cleanliness and cleaning. But then to actually write 55,000 words on yeah. it is kind of massive. Take me through the steps of, you know, even though you had the idea, you still yeah. had to kind of write some stuff and propose the idea. Tell me about yeah. the actual process to publication. Yeah. So, so once I had the idea, I literally wrote a proposal really quickly. It was like it was literally sitting down and jotting down all these ideas and I felt like I had masses of ideas. And I've also written a lot of columns in the past about my kind of domestically challenged ways. So I'd written a column about, about the, the um, ceiling incident. I'd written a column about the time when my oven exploded after I tried to take it apart watching a YouTube video and then put it back together wrong. Um, I'd written columns about how I hate cooking and all my cooking disasters. And on Twitter, I was constantly tweeting about burning myself and gashing myself, you know, doing household things. So I felt like I had a lot of ideas and I sort of jotted them all down, proposed the, the idea, got it accepted, and then there was a really short deadline. There was literally like a five-month deadline because they okay, wanted to get on, it out. Okay, hang on, let's backtrack. You, you wrote the proposal. So really you wrote quickly. the pro proposal but hadn't, you, you must have provided some of those previous columns. Uh, yes, so that, exactly. Yes, as so that, that they course, had an yeah. indication. Yeah. Okay, so that, right, and they knew great. who I was. The, yes. the publisher knew who I was. She was familiar with my work. So then I got, the, I, got it, um, I got it through, had five months to write it, which is incredibly short. Um, and then once I sat down, you, you feel like you've got a lot of material and then you realise exactly what you said. This is not good. This isn't 55,000 words. <laughs> this is like two pages. <laughs> so that's when I kind of panicked. So I spent about a month of that five months completely panicking, thinking, oh, shit, what have I done? I can't do this. And I would literally go for these long walks, um, you know, with my mask on because it was all, you know, it was all lockdown and and just think, what is the angle here? Like, what am I missing? Didn't have kind of the, the narrative thread that would connect mm. all these different stories. And then I got it. Mm. And I, it literally took about a month. And once I got it, it really did start to flow. And I got to a point where, where there was probably about 40,000 words. And then I had to, and that just raced through that. And I wrote it during lockdown so that I had my three kids at home. So two yeah. adult kids and my teenager. And they were like my beta readers. They didn't want to be my beta readers. They were just trapped there. They had to be my beta readers. And I kind of throw out jokes to them and, and they are tough. Like kids are really tough. So if they laughed, I knew I was onto something. But a lot of the time it'd be like, yeah, mum, yeah, yeah. Maybe old people will find this funny. Um, but, then, but then occasionally they would really laugh. I think, yeah, yeah, I've got it. Um, but then I got to the point where I had about 40,000 words and it's like this isn't enough and that's when I started digging really deep. Um, and I came up with, you'll see there's graphs and there's charts yes. and there's recipes. And, yes. and that's when you're really sort of thinking, how can I kind of get every last drop out of this idea? And then when I was talking to the publicist about doing publicity from the book, I said to her, um, because usually what happens is you're asked to write things about, you know, about the topic. And it, I said, I have nothing left. Yeah, like right. you can run extracts. I have nothing left. I've put everything I have into that book, every last joke, every last kind of funny anecdote about me, about other people, about the whole cleaning world. I was researching, like I was spending hours kind of looking at, at you know, inspirational Instagrammers who are, who are <laughs> showing their, you know, spotless bathrooms and doing three-hour cleaning videos and, and looking at ads for different cleaning products and just trying to get kind of ideas for how else I can milk this topic. 
And I'm actually really, really happy with how it how it turned out. Um, but there was, you know, out of that five months, I would say three months was just pure joy. And then two months was just wringing my, wringing my hands and tearing my hair and like scratching at my eyeballs like, ah! Um, so it the does first, feel, it the first month was searching for the narrative. Yes, exactly. The narrative thread. So yes. let's, so you, you got, when you were ready to go, when you thought, yeah. okay, I've got it now, what did you do? Because did you divide it up into, I'm going to write this number of words per week or how did you, you know, plan it out? So I actually came up very early with the chapter headings. Um, which oh. I, I really like. I've, I've got sort of funny plays on old proverbs and idioms and, and um, you know, like um, what's, what's one of my favourites? So um, laugh and the world laughs with you, clean and you clean alone, you know, that kind of thing. So, so oh, to clean or not to clean, that is the question. So I divide up in the, into the chapter headings and then basically every time I had an idea, I'd kind of slot it into one of the areas. And then, of course, in the editing process, you know, I was working with a really great editor at HarperCollins and, and then you start shuffling things around and they're like, I'm not sure that goes there. I think that goes into this one. And, but really that's how I did it. And there was also, I don't mean to sound kind of, um, wanky here but there was there was a lot of trying to get into the voice um, because writing humor is a particular kind of writing um, where you almost have to really I kind of had to sit down and relax and just let it flow it's not something that you can force if the, the more you try to be funny mm. the less funny you are you can't you know if someone says quick make a joke you can't but if you're just relaxed and sort of allowing kind of your natural sense of humor to to be able to come out, then usually it works. Not every, not every day. You know, there were times when I'd sit down and think I'm going to, you know, write today and it'd be like, no, I'm just not, I'm not feeling funny today. But then there'd be days where I, it would just kind of flow. And, and even having the kids there, I could sort of start just, you know, talking to them about a topic and even just having them to bounce off. Mm. It's kind of really helpful and I'd just kind of things would pop into my head and, Yeah. But writing humour is not new to you. You're very good at it and you've done it lots of times before. So don't you have a way of just yeah. getting into that? Yes, voice? yes, and that's what it is. It's, 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 I can only describe it as a process of relaxation. Right. Um, when I'm writing serious op-eds, mm. I'm very focused and I'm constantly thinking of usually what people, how people would argue with me. So when you're making an argument, you know, you've really got to be very cogent. You have to know exactly the points you're going to hit. Um, and more than anything, you have to anticipate what the argument's going to be. Yes. With humour, it's different. With humour, it's literally just sitting and relaxing and trying to just almost be in conversation with myself, if that makes <laughs> sense. So I'm saying something and then I hear what I would say in return because usually I spark off other people. Like the times I'm funniest are the times when I'm around funny people and then they're saying something funny and I bounce back and it's kind of kind of like that tennis match where mm. one person lobs a ball and the other person lobs it back. But I'm doing it with myself. Um, and, and if you're tense or if I'm tense, if I'm trying too hard, it shuts it down. So I really have to relax and just go with it. And that's fine when I'm writing columns and I've got 600 words to write and I've got a day or two to write it. When you know you've got to kind of get an entire book, in it, that's what freaks you out. So it's a thinking, I have to do this because time is ticking away. So you really yes. have to shut out all of those voices and just go, ah, oh, it's just me making jokes and being funny. And I try really hard. I try with everything I write to write what I would like to read. But mm. in this case, I was writing what I think is funny. 
And I would mm. just sit and laugh. And I knew that it was going well when I would just crack myself up. And sometimes it was like I had this whole process where I'd be like, oh, shit, oh, shit, I can't do this. And then I'd be like, I'm a comedic goddess. Like it would be going from one to the other. So at any point did you, you know, when you wrote a particular chapter or a particular section, did you read it back and go, there just aren't enough funny bits in here and I really need to think of more and insert them? Often I I do that, but with this book, no, because the whole point was to be funny. There's an underlying theme to it. Mm. It's not just cracking jokes. The underlying theme is really what underlies all my work, which is that we don't need to be perfect and you don't need a perfect life and you don't need a perfect home. And there's sort of a bit about feminism kind of very subtly hidden in there in one of the chapters as well. Um, But in this book, the whole point was to be funny. So I didn't write, like it was literally just writing humour. And so, no, I I have to be honest, I was either not writing or I'd write something funny. And I tend to be, I don't know if everybody's like this, I, I, I tend to read back my work literally the next day and I can't remember writing it when it goes well. So, mm. you know, you'll ask me what I wrote in a column last week and I, I usually can't tell you. And so I, was, I tend to be reading over going, wow, that's really funny. And even now <laughs> I'll pick it up and go, God, that's really clever. Um, it's, it's, as I said, it's my, it's my one skill. So one would hope that it would, it would work because if this doesn't, if this doesn't work out for me, I've got nothing. Like, <laughs> All right. So, cause when, you know, I'm reading, say, the first few chapters and I'm laughing out loud. After a point, I actually thought, will she be able to sustain this? Because have, yeah. has she put all of her funny bits, you know, like when you watch the movie trailer yeah, of a yeah, movie, yeah, yeah, yeah. all the good bits are in the yeah. movie trailer. So I'm thinking, will she be able to keep on going and have so much humour in it because it's it's like it's like bang bang. It's just laugh out yeah. loud like a lot, and you do. Oh, good. so <laughs> what? What are your tips to people on how to maintain and sustain that frequent? You know that that oh. that level. Look, as I said, it, it was a voice that I found, but then some of the funny bits are right at the end. Like there's a couple of recipes in there which every time I, I look at them, I laugh. Like I just, I just felt. I mean, my kids roll their eyes. But, um, but I kind of think they're really funny. Um, and there's the Venn diagrams, which are right towards the end. I just love. It's a very short bit, but it's right towards the end of the book. Um, I think the key for me was when I wasn't feeling it, I just didn't write that day um, because humour is something, as I said, that can't be forced. And, you know, I'm working on something now that is nonfiction that's much more serious and I can really feel like, oh God, I don't want to do this today but I can sit down and push my way through and just know Mm. I've got to hit these points and work really hard. But humour just doesn't work like that. You literally can't do it. Um, What you can do is, um, I guess, um, encourage your, your, it's called the default motor network, which is your kind of daydreaming, the daydreaming side of your brain, the side that's that's responsible for ideas and humour and creativity. And the best thing to do for me is to get up from my computer, do something completely different. And I spend a lot of time where I feel like I'm being creative, but to someone else, I'm literally pottering around my house or going mm. for walks around the block. And the number of times when I would sit down and just be stuck and think I have no idea what I'm going to say next, and I would literally get up and go for a walk around the block and think about something else and listen to a podcast, and halfway around the block, I'd be like, that's it. And I would stand there and, and literally dictate it into my dictaphone mm. on the phone. 
um, and come back and, and just kind of um, transcribe it from that. So it's like literally walking away from what you're doing and thinking about something completely different and that's where ideas are born. Um, so did you yeah. ever get, you know, in the same way people get writer's block, did you ever get funny block or humour block or whatever? Yeah, no, definitely. There were days when I just did not feel funny. Not that for like a long, you know, and no. for a sustained period that made you go, oh, my God, what? where's it gone? Yeah, not, not with this one. I did get to a point after this. So I had that one month of trying to come up with the hook and I wrote things in, but I just didn't have the whole kind of cohesive narrative structure in my head. And then three months of just because it was so much. And the, like the cleaning and tidying and home inspo in- industry is huge. And I just yes. kept finding new things to make fun of, you know, like I just, when I found out about, about the whole colour coding bookshelves thing, like that's a real thing. And then getting into the whole, like I had a real thing for the aspirational pantries like these people literally decanting everything everything yes. about decanting like you take your flour and you decant it into a jar and then you have to label it flour and your sugar and you have to put sugar on it and then you have to put it in a certain kind of order and <laughs> and you know watching people do their cleaning and talk so earnestly about it and so I just kept finding new and fascinating things to, to make fun of I remember finding the day I found out about Swedish death cleaning oh, that was yeah. just like a gift you know Swedish death <laughs> cleaning is where you know Marie Kondo is about throwing at anything that doesn't bring you joy so that you can have a minimalist house. But Swedish death cleaning is throwing at anything that won't bring your children joy so that when you pass away, your children won't have to do it for you. And I'm like, that's not going to work for me because I really like my stuff. And then I thought, well, what about if my parents want to do that? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll bring them the garbage bags. Like, great idea. <laughs> you know, again, it was just there's so much to make fun of. So it was there was a lot to do. And then for that last month, it was like, okay, I'm almost there, but the book's just not quite quite long enough. Um, I need more material. And there was a lot of time spent just thinking, okay, could I do a graph about this or what's a what's a way I could I could do this? And and even sort of I started to read a lot of comedy. Um, I, I often read nonfiction, but I started to read just comedic books. Um, uh-huh. I started to to watch comedies um, just again to help kind of getting the voice, started to look at comedic Instagram accounts, just anything that would kind of get that flowing. Um, and, yeah, I got there in the, in the end. But there were there were definitely days where I was just, like, thinking, shit, what have I signed up for? <laughs> but then the feeling of, of triumph when you, when you find something yes. is just so great. Mm. Um, and I have to say, out of all my books, this is the one that I feel most, I, I, yeah, that feeling of, of, accomplishment like god I did it like I took a topic that isn't necessarily obviously funny and found ways to to make it funny yes Uh, yeah yes so with the um I mentioned earlier that you have this acute social observation skill kind of thing because you're writing about things that people do and that people say that you know uh, well uh, are not only funny but they're 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 just so on point and they are things that we don't necessarily talk about but once you articulate Mm. them you go Mm. oh my god yes so what do you do to hone that skill I think it's been really really interested in people I've always been completely fascinated by people and relationships between people. And I think that's why I did social work. And as I said, Mm. I wasn't a great social worker. Honestly, when I was doing social work, I was in my early 20s. I had no life experience. And I was trying to counsel people who were a lot older than me. And I just had no clue what I was doing. 
Um, but I always have had that that sense of fascination with people, and always my favorite books, my like my favorite novels, are always about relationships. Um, so it's not you know thrillers or or um, sci-fi. It's just about the relationships between mm. people. And so I think when you're genuinely interested in that, you notice things. So you know I'm whenever I'm with couples, you know, I'll be looking at the interactions between them and trying to work out what the dynamic is and, and why they're reacting the way they are and very interested in friendships and, and looking at the ways that people relate to others, um, very interested in kind of the, the parenting-child dynamic and, and, you know, why people parent differently and, and what children take from their parents. So I guess when you're really interested in something, you, you spend a lot of time thinking about it and so you make observations so it's um, also, I'm not a, be... I'm not a, yeah. no no you go I'm just I'm not scared to talk about any of that either so you know my second book was about anxiety and now there's so much written about anxiety but at the time mm. I was one of the first books to the you know I was one of the first people to write about anxiety mm. um and you know now of course it's I'm not saying I stubbed the wave I just happened to get early in on the zeitgeist mm. Um, so it's it's noticing things and being prepared to talk about it. And now everybody's talking about marriage and motherhood, but really when I wrote my first book, that was the first kind of wave of people talking about these things. Yes. But it's one thing to be interested in something because, you know, and that's of, I mean, yes, of course you need to be interested in it, but it's another thing to then um, put it into words in a way yeah. that is so on point. Yeah. And when you say you're not afraid to talk about it, who do you talk about it to? <laughs> like, because then it becomes like a, a conversation and really you articulate it. So who Everyone. do you talk about it to? Really? Everyone. Everyone. <laughs> um, this is what I'm interested in. But, but in particular, I've always talked a lot to my mum. So she and I will talk endlessly about the people we meet and the people we know and, and the dynamics between people. Um, I talk to my best friends about it. Um, so again, we're forever talking about people and oh, why they act the way they do and 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 famous people as well. I've always been really interested in celebrity and and kind of the whole um, concept of of how fame changes you and and how politics corrupts you and and you know now that I've got a partner, I've had a partner for the last about um, six months. And I talk endlessly to him about everybody that I introduce him to. So I'm like, this is what I think. Now, what do you think? And so waiting to see his reaction. It's just something that really interests me and it doesn't interest everybody. So, you know, when I'm at home with my parents, if I try and have these conversations about people around my dad, he's like, really? Like he'll, he's much more interested in politics or in, you know, in world events, whereas I want to talk about the minutiae of how people think and how they act and, and why, they, why they act the way they, they do. Mm. I, so let, let's talk about the um, feeding it in because you, okay, so you wrote this during <clears throat> lockdown, but you also have other responsibilities. You have a column to write, you write other things. What did you do on a practical level to fit it all in or, or did you focus on this like 100%? No, I didn't focus on 100%. I was still writing columns and I was literally at home with three kids and I have to run <laughs> the household. Um mm. It probably won't come as a great surprise to you that my house is <laughs> kind of messy at times and that the standards of housework slipped even more while I was writing. Um, and, you know, I know it's shocking. It's really shocking. Um, my, my skirting boards were not dusted during that whole five months or, in fact, probably the five years before that. Um, but, no, I, and I've never been one to have a proper writing routine. So I'm always interested mm. to hear, you know, other writers who say, I get up every morning at 6 o'clock and I write my 1,000 words before the kids get up. I've never done that. 
Um, I literally, you know, because I started writing, um, I really started my professional writing career when I had two kids under the age of two. Sorry, that's not true. I had, no, I had two kids under the age of, sorry, of three. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've always written in um, little snatches of time when I found it. So Mm. um, I'll literally find, I I don't need like a stretch of five hours clear to write. I can sit down and write for half an hour and then put it down and do something else. And, and, you know, I was constantly being interrupted. I mean, we live in an apartment and my kids did not want to spend all of their time in their rooms um, because that gets really depressing. So really most of us were in our one living area at any Mm. given time and I'll put on earphones and just work with them around me and then, you know, my daughter would come out and ask for help with her maths or my other daughter would want to chat or my son would come through and want food and it was hard. You have to be able to kind of dip in and out and Mm. and work in short snatches of time and I'm lucky that my brain works that way. But also this, this book lent itself to that. You know, when you're when you're working with short chapters and humor, you really can kind of write, you know, a few hundred words and then mm. stop and pick it up. It's not, I'm not a novelist. I can't even imagine how that would work with writing a novel. <laughs> I imagine to keep that whole world in your head, you would need to have some, you know, solid, mm. uninterrupted time, um, which is probably why I don't write novels. <laughs> um, also, I'm not very good at making things up. Um, so it was literally just dipping in and out. But I did, I was very aware of the fact that I had this deadline and I had to get a certain amount done. And I had the whole kind of chart of how many words I'd done every day and trying, uh-huh. to, trying to hit that total. Um, and so I knew, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I knew I had to write a certain number of words every day. And sometimes I would write more and I'd feel like this great sense of relief so that then if the next day I didn't make it or if occasionally I had to have a, a day off because I couldn't think of anything yeah. um, or I just couldn't find my funny bone, then mm. it was okay. So I'd kind of like to bank up a few extra words. So mm. it wasn't that I would sit down and try and write a certain amount of words, but I just knew yeah. how I was tracking. Um, so. For people who, I mean, there are many people who are very familiar with your column, but for some people who aren't, can you just describe, how would you describe your column? Like your mandate for your column, what um, you write? So I generally, so I write op-eds, but it's usually about kind of some aspect of human behaviour. Um, I'm not writing about Russia's, you know, invasion of, of mm-hmm. the Ukraine, but I'll be writing, I, I write about yeah, kind of aspects of, of human behaviour and how we relate to each other. I write a lot of humour and I really try to write about um, the kind of um, the kind of observational stuff that that people will read and think, yes, like I can relate to that. So okay, so my last column, so I lie, I can remember my last column. My last column um, was about parenting when you've got COVID and you're meant to be looking after a kid with COVID as well, and how unfair that was. Um, <laughs> you know, really, someone should have come in and looked after me. Um, and so it was it was about that, and um, so it's really about about um, the things in life that, that people um, can relate to. And it's all the underlying message of everything I write is to try and, I guess, help people feel better about their own lives by making fun of mine or by talking about the, the problems that, that we all have or the issues that we all have. And since the very beginning, I mean, it wasn't articulated as much as, as in this book, but it really is about how it's okay to have a messy life. You know, we all do and we're all just doing our best. And it's okay. In my first book was about how it's okay not to be a perfect parent or a perfect partner. And the second one was it's okay, you know, to have mental health struggles. Um, And the third one, which was about dating in midlife, because by then I divorced, 
um, was about how, you know, it's okay to be making catastrophic mistakes on the dating scene. So it's yeah. all really, that's, that's, I think, the underlying message that, that underpins everything I write. So I know that I'm putting you on the spot a bit, but um, a lot of people love, well, they love your column and they love that kind of writing. So what would you say your top three tips are for writing a good column? Oh, wow. Okay. So the first one is you need a really, really strong thesis. So when you want to write something, whether it's an observational thing like I wrote about COVID or whether it's an opinion piece, you have to really have a strong point of view. Um, the times where I've where I've floundered in what I've been writing is when I really didn't know what I was trying to say. Occasionally, because I've been writing for a long time, occasionally I'll get a call from an editor saying, hey, Kerry, do you want to write about such and such? Um, do you have, you know, do you have thoughts on it? That's what they'll always say. So mm-hmm. for people who think that, you know, the newspapers have, have um, agendas and they're picking someone to write that way. They do, they literally would just say, do you have thoughts on it? And whatever your thoughts are, you know, you can write about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes I just don't. Like there are things <laughs> that I just don't feel particularly strongly sure. about, you know. Yes, of course. And, um, and so, you know, in that case, it's actually better not to do it because yeah. if you write a wishy-washy column, no one's interested in reading that. People really want to have a really strong point of view. So that's mm. the first one. The second is um, to try and have some narrative flow. And I do a lot of kind of circular endings. So I'll, you Mm. know, refer to something in the beginning and then kind of come back to it at the end because I like it all to be, as much as my life is messy, I like my columns to be quite tight. You know, you come back to the point, I can't stand columns where you'll read it and it just kind of stops at the end I know. Like nothing. Nowhere, I know. And I hate Mm -hmm. that. So I always want to have a really strong conclusion and I like Mm. columns that that have that. Um, And the other thing is what I alluded to before which is when you're writing columns first of all you have to have a really thick skin Mm. anyone in in the media has to have a really thick skin but you really have to try and anticipate what people are going to say and there are times when like I feel like it's on me to be able to think of that and to be able to respond to that but there are times when you just can't so that column that I wrote that I was telling you about with the COVID thing that started from a tweet um, Mm. which was something along the lines of um, I'm supposed to be looking after my kid who has COVID, even though I have COVID myself. This seems unreasonable. Can someone check the rules? And like most people got it and thought it was funny, but there was a handful of people who were like absolutely vitriolic, like, like oh, you shouldn't be a parent. You're poor children. They oh should be taken God. away from you. Oh, and, my God. You know, you can never anticipate how somebody is going to react. No. Um, there'll always be a small group of people who like willfully misunderstand you. I mean, it's almost like you have to try really, really hard to get that one wrong. Like rules, wow. where are the parenting rules? I didn't get the handle. Um, but in general, you have to really think, like people who really mess up on, on Twitter or in columns who kind of get masses of hate, mm. you, have to, you have to really think about what you're doing and always pause. And I always have, always, always for my columns, have a beta reader. It's mm. often my mum. She's, she's not a writer, but she's a really great reader. Mm. And I'll just send it to her because she's the kind of person who'll be reading the columns. Mm, and yes. just to check, and she's honest with me, there's no point having a beta reader who isn't honest with you. Yep. Someone who just says, oh, yeah, that's great. That's not mm. actually helpful. So she will always say to me, Kez, that's terrific. Or she'll say, but just, you know, that one line there, mm. I'm just not sure what you meant by that. Or have you thought that that might be inflammatory or that can be misread? And that is so important. So yes. even if I'm on a deadline, 
like often, you know, I'll get a call or I'll pitch an idea and they'll say, hey, can you turn over in two hours? Yeah. Because you know, they want to run it that evening. If I'm on a deadline, I will find someone to read it because there's often things that you just can't see because you're too close to it mm. or you think hysterical or you think is a really great point and it actually doesn't quite work. So you need, you need a reader because the way that we, we think and write as much as my idea I might think is spot on, if it's mm. not conveyed in the right way, yes. if there's something that can be misconstrued, you want to pick it up early. That's so I think great. A good beta reader is like absolutely essential and not a yes man. You know, yes, someone great advice. You, this is shit. So this book is, you know, going to go nuts. It's fantastic. Are you working on the next one? I am. So I, I'm actually working on something that I have uh, it's nonfiction. It's about a much more serious idea. Um, and it's something that I have been brewing for a long, long time. And this came out of a conversation with my agent where I, I kind of went to her and I pitched an idea about why people get into bad relationships. And I was chatting to her and I was you know, saying a lot of it is about the fear of being alone. Um, and she was like, that's what you need to write about. So I'm actually writing a book about solitude and how little time most of us spend with ourselves with our own thoughts um I'm just so interested in that you know we when you and I were growing up we would like if we were walking to the bus stop or if we were sitting in a queue or standing in a queue if we were sitting in a waiting room what would we be doing we'd just be thinking yeah we have an alternative and now nobody's alone with their thoughts or very few people are because you know we're always like on our phones So I'm I'm writing about that and that wow. is my next book. Yeah. That is so different. That's going to yeah. be fascinating. I hope so. There's a, there's a lot of information out there and and um, like a lot of research and and I have a lot of thoughts about it. So that's yeah, that's what I'm. Wow. Well, in the meantime, people are going to enjoy the life-changing magic of a little bit of mess. What do you want people to when they read the book to? feel or do honestly I want people to laugh yeah I really want to give people a couple of hours break or a few hours break from the news cycle which is so hard at the moment it's so grim I think we all just need a break and to be able to laugh and have fun you can flip through this you can read it in whatever order you want you know there's there's some visual gags which are very easy there's illustrations which are amazing um, and the other thing is I just want people to know that it's okay to be imperfect. You don't have to be a perfect person. You don't have to have a perfect home. You don't have to like dust your light fittings or have a housework schedule or make sure that your toilet is pristine. Nothing is going to happen, you know, if there's like a bit of, I, I don't know, like a bit of dust on your skirting boards or if there's a pile of laundry in the floor. Like I promise you no one has ever got to the end of their life and said, God, I wish I'd spent more time with my steam mop when I had the chance, you know. <laughs> no one's ever fallen in love with someone because they had, like, a colour-coded bookshelf. It's just <laughs> not important. There's so many other things you can do with your life. And on that note, <laughs> congratulations on your book and thank you so much for your time today, Kerry. Such a joy. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre and our course, Freelance Writing Stage 1. If you'd like to be a freelance writer, our five-week online course is the fastest way to get there. Step-by-step, you'll explore how to get story ideas, approach editors, research and structure your article, plus learn about interview skills, industry expectations and much more, and have your own tutor to answer all your questions. Here's what Joe Hartley says. 
I joined the course because I've been doing a blog and I've always enjoyed writing and I thought it would just be something fun to do as a course and maybe learn a little bit more about how I could potentially use that for a career and some income. The things I found most useful in the course was uh, learning how to pitch and that was really useful and also how to put together an article, the formula that, that you use, the hooks and the transitions within the article to make it flow well and, and fit the style of the magazine. From a writing sense it's obviously taught me the skills that I needed to be able to write in um, for magazines and for online publications, um, which I didn't have those skills before. In terms of um, my life, it's basically given me a part-time income that I'm able to work around my two children. So at the moment I work three days a week, um, school hours mainly, and I'm writing for a number of publications. I've built good relationships across um, the board in terms of online and print publications. But doing the course was certainly the best platform to spring off of. It's an absolute must for anybody who'd like to think about writing as a career. You learn all the skills you need to break into the industry, but then also to produce work that's quality enough that you can keep producing it and, keep, and the editors come back for more. Give it a go, you can make it success and the rest is down to you. If you'd like to find out more, go to writerscentre.com.au slash freelance writing. I hope you enjoyed the chat that I had with Kerry. I'm always in awe of people who can write humour and do it so well. It's um, something that seems so natural and effortless, but obviously a lot of thought and planning goes into writing, you know, jokes and humour. So hats off to anyone who's writing humour and of course um, to Kerry for her fabulous book. Let's move on to our competition this week. We have three copies of A Solitary Walk on the Moon by Hilda Hinton to give away. So you could win one of three copies. For Evelyn, mornings pass as mornings always do. She ticks off the jobs at the laundromat and gives welcoming smiles to those who come in if they've earned one. Evelyn knows what is going on in her community because she pays attention. The community might not notice Evelyn because it's easy to overlook the seemingly ordinary, but Evelyn is far from ordinary. She isn't afraid to put things right, even if that means breaking the rules. With a joyous and unique touch, Hilda Hinton's novel gives us a rich insight into the people we pass on the street. So, A Solitary Walk on the Moon, you could win one of three copies. Entries close on the 25th of April. Just go to writercentre.com.au slash win and follow the instructions. That's writercentre.com.au slash win. All right, we've now come to the end of this week's episode. I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to spend time recovering. Yes, after having house guests, I'm not used to it. I don't usually flex this muscle, so I need to have a big rest. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening, everyone, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentre.com.au slash news, where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions, and much more.